Well, welcome, Mike, to another episode of the Hector exactly. in Mike, you know, um, podcast. You know, we um, we've got quite a bit busy week this week. We've got gas prices look like they're going up again. Um, you know, the OPEC family is is being discussed, um, having come to sort of sort of agreement as to how many more barrels of oil they're going to be releasing out, which means gas prices may be going up twenty cents per gallon by the end of summer. Not only that, um, you've got a new polling out on Kamala Harris and the way she's been handling the immigration situation or the situation at the border. In addition, we've got more information on the recall. Um, we've got more candidates jumping in, and uh, it is it is going to be, I think we're up to about 83 now. So, I mean, without further ado, Mike, let's just take it up with the gasoline prices. Um, there's been some sort of problems with the communications over at the White House right now. Well, I, I think they got a problem there of both communication and policy. Um, in the sense of, you know, not too, not too long ago, we didn't have to care, you know, how many barrels of oil over OPEC was going to give us because we were becoming more and more energy independent. And, you know, that changed on January 20th at 12.01 p.m. when we had a new administration come in with a new policy that shuts down the pipeline and puts us once again at the mercy of foreign governments in terms of our energy supply. And, 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 what you're, and what you mean by the pipeline is we're looking at the Keystone Pipeline that was supposed right. to be built between the, you know, the governments of Canada coming into the United States and with this Keystone Pipeline, they were looking to bring in, to initially start about 500,000 barrels of oil, be able to ramp that up to about 850,000 barrels of oil. But as you're right, but as you indicated, you're right, um, on day one of Joe Biden becoming president, he signed an executive order killing the Keystone Pipeline. And, and what the was jobs about that go with years. it, by the way. And the jobs that go with it, both on this side of the border and on the Canadian side of the border. So you're right. Absolutely right. And, you know, so let's, you know, instead of worrying about having a good relationship with Canada, where probably the biggest arguments we have are whether, you know, the Canadians should win the Stanley Cup or not. Let's, you know, put our lot in with the Middle East because that's always the most stable region in the world. Um, it made perfect sense in somebody's world. I'm not sure where. But now the, the chickens come home to roost and it's not too much long later. It's only six months. And we're sitting here in California where it's obviously even worse because over 50 cents a gallon that you pay at the gas pump goes to the state of California for taxes, which you know, kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense since the state of California has a 70 plus billion dollar surplus. And today we saw the White House press secretary, you know, when asked about gas prices, say, well, we're monitoring the gas prices. And it's like, it was tone deaf. It was amazingly tone deaf, that response, because the gas prices impact food delivery, product delivery, ability of people uh, on the lower income scale, especially to be able to afford, you know, the having the gas to go to work every single day, you know, they have to take public transportation, public transportation uses the gas. If prices are going to go up there, um, it has a huge ripple effect on the economy. And for the administration's spokesperson today to say, well, we're looking at it, at what's going on is really um, politics aside a disservice to their principal, to their boss. Yeah, and you're right. In California, we've got gas prices now at four, on average, we just looked at the uh, AAA numbers, and they are at $4.30 for a regular gallon of gasoline. 
you add another 20 cents to that, you're you're now at 450 a gallon per gallon of gasoline, and right. and that does have a nice a, a, a really bad ripple effect across the economy. Um, Mike, as as you noted, you know, for a lot of folks, you know, it, it, who have to live farther away, especially from our larger cities like San Francisco or Los Angeles, and in years getting them in Sacramento too, where you know the pricing of housing it's got you further and further away from where some of the job centers are. And so that means that commute time that, you know, it's been longer for you, it's now going to become more expensive, which in end turn means that that's less money in your pocket. And food prices are going to go up. The price of goods go up because, you know, those semis and those trains and everything else you need that take your products from one place to another, you know, but if it's on the train, it's got to get off the train and onto a truck and eventually it's got to get onto a store. And when it gets onto a store, there's that price of gasoline that gets impacted by it and along with. Not just that, but airfare and everything else that comes with it. And so, you know, it is it is one of these things that I remember several years back, um, you know, we worked with a different presidential um, candidate and it wasn't Trump. It was, you know, someone else. And the big movement was to become energy independent, mm-hmm. because what happens is every single year we are sending billions and billions of dollars to the Middle East and places that, you know, don't like us very much. And yet we're funding their governments, we're funding what they're doing, and, you know, we're, we're getting this oil, but I think it's, you know, a lot of it is under this guise of environmental protection, but at the end of the day, you know, we have some of the highest standards for environmental protection, the highest standards for labor laws, and yet, you know, we're giving these countries billions of dollars, and it's, it's just being exported money out. It's, it's a terrible intersection. This example is a terrible intersection of bad policy and bad communication. And and what has stunned me, honestly, and again, I'm politics aside, when you're in the political business or the public relations business like we are, you always want to present your principle in the best possible light. Sometimes even when that light isn't very good. You know, the the way they dealt with Kamala Harris's trip to the border has resulted in her having a 48% of the people believe she's doing a poor job on the border. That's an incredible number, um, you know, to have this early on in an administration on a key issue. And and that was because it was completely botched and poorly handled. Um, you have last week before the 4th of July, the White House in its infinite wisdom decided to put out a graphic with this picnic, you know, spread that said this year in 2021, your barbecue on the 4th of July is a whole 16 cents less than it was last year. Now, last year, I was surprised anybody was having a barbecue anyway because of the pandemic. But seriously, 16 cents difference. And there's this gorgeous graphic they put out, very proud of it. And people mocked it. They thought it was a joke. I mean, I had people telling me, did you create this because I create weird minds for people? You know, memes for people. I mean, is this a joke? It's like, no, this is real. This is what they actually put out. And then today, you know, the press secretary says we're looking at gas prices. The communications is absolutely horrible. And I'm actually kind of stunned about it because these aren't novices. I mean, when Trump came in, nobody expected him to win. And so, you know, there's all these growing pains of people coming in and what have you. And, you know, sometimes it did become a circus. These people shouldn't be having a circus. These are all seasoned professionals. And the fact that they're doing what they're doing is incredible. I want to point out one more thing, if I may, and that's looking ahead. You know, you said about the fact that um, we became energy independent, going back to being energy independent on the Middle East. Uh, 
Well, obviously, the climate-loving Biden administration wants everybody to be driving electric cars. And here's another perfect example of, of what you're talking about. Um, you know, to drive electric cars, you need lithium batteries. And what we have in a situation now is that over, just over the border in the state of Nevada, um, there's a lithium mine, believe it or not, that can crank out enough lithium for 330,000 electric batteries for cars. They can't dig there because there's some weed that grows on there that conservationists have said needs to be protected. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, where you have both policy and communication that just absolutely wrecks your administration. Is it a, is it a plant or a weed? What You said weed. It's, I forget the name of it. I'll find the name of it. It's, a weed. it's literally, it, it's a, uh, you know, they, I don't know. If, look, I mean, I grow tomatoes in the backyard. What do I know about farming? But it's, 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 it's some kind of weed. It has absolutely no value. It's not like, you know, some animal eats it and it preserves the animal or anything like that. It, it's just, um, it's just this weed. And, and I was just like, well, maybe if you notice the fact that it's only growing on top of a lithium mine, probably tells you it's not something you necessarily want to consume or save because that's not a good place for it to grow. But you, you think about it. We, if, if they allowed the mine to do what they need to do, they pull out enough lithium in Nevada for 330,000 batteries for electric cars. Instead, we go to you know, places that are even less stable than the Middle East. We go to China. We go to the Congo. Um, we go to Central America to get the lithium. Uh, you know, it's at some point in time, you know, and I think we're coming to it. I'm really surprised it's been this fast. People are looking and saying, who's running this government? I mean, who's running the show here? There's all of these kind of rookie mistakes and, you know, things like this and, and tone deaf, uh, you know, just amazing tone deaf, which surprises me. Because, again, these aren't people that just, you know, fell off the turnip truck of politics and communications. These are seasoned professionals. And to make unforced errors like this is is actually pretty shameful for their for their bosses. I think just like on the issue of crime, um, you know, the pendulum ends up will end up swinging one way or another. And you know, I, I, right now you've got this environmental community that's got a stranglehold not just on DC, but you've got a stranglehold on California, and they've got a stranglehold in a lot of other different states. But there, there, there's got to be a point in time, um, just like we're beginning to see right now with crime, where you know, public safety and let more prisoners out, let them, you know, make, make it easier for them and so forth, where we realize that gas prices, I mean, we realize that gas prices are too high. We realize that, look, if we don't go out and become more energy independent, you know, look at the tens of thousands of jobs. And for, you know, for a lot of Democrats and union folks, a lot of these are probably going to be union jobs where union sure. paying, you know, dues. I mean, you've got places in the Central Valley where you've got and people who work in the energy sector there making 70 to 80 to $90,000 plus and people with just a high school education or an equivalency of it, you know, and what other sectors of the economy are providing those opportunities. And so, you know, if you, if you're able to go out and find your own oil, find your own, you know, energy, um, be independent, then all of a sudden you're not being dependent on these foreign governments. Or I guess the most important thing is we're not going to be shipping out billions of dollars to other countries that don't like us when we could be reinvesting that money here in our state and in our country. And those jobs bring, you know, people to spend money out into our stores, 
go to restaurants, buy homes, buy cars, buy goods and services, which which in turn means they pay taxes on those goods, which in turn help out our schools and everything else. But it's this environmental stranglehold that it has on individuals, not just on our energy, water, and everything else that we've got. Well, let, let me just at least address your, your point on the jobs thing. Um, and, you know, our energy czar, former Senator John Kerry said, in answer to your point, which is a good one, well, they can build wind turbines. That's what these jobs, you know, people that were going to do this, this work can now go build wind turbines, you know, and that's, and again, it's like completely tone deaf. It's two different skills. It's going to take time to develop that technology. It's going to take time to train people to do that, you know. And it, and it comes from a guy who flies around in a private jet, has a beautiful luxury lot that he uh, yacht that he stores in Rhode Island, as opposed to Massachusetts, so he doesn't have to pay taxes on it in Massachusetts. You know, it's it's. This kind of do as I say, not as I do attitude that these people have. And the reality is exactly what you said. These weren't thousands of jobs in the movie industry or high tech or anything. These are thousands of jobs of people that make a good living, um, you know, that provide for their family, that pay their taxes, that pay their union dues, as you indicated, and they're gone. And, and now we see it come home to roost amazingly just six months later and you know what happens is there's a storm you know i don't know if anybody sees it i'm sure they do there's like this storm brewing in you know you got money being spent like it's water they're going to try and pass an infrastructure bill that's going to you know put us more in debt you got an economy you know everybody was was clapping about the economy the economic numbers not job numbers but if you looked a little closer ironically for this administration you know, the job uptick in the last numbers weren't all that great for blacks, Asians, Hispanics. It wasn't like it's not getting back to what it used to be before the pandemic. Um, and now you add into this energy crisis of, you know, the price of gas and how that impacts everything else. You know, you're looking at you're looking at a major economic downturn coming if they keep on this track. And they will. I mean, they will because it's it's what they believe. Um, they believe something like Keystone Pipeline is bad. They don't, you know, in, in their priority of things, they say that economic or that climate stuff is better, is more important to them. It's going to be, it's amazing to me, it's just six months into it, and we already see the impact. I mean, if they want to do something about gasoline prices, probably the first thing and easiest thing they could do is stop supporting Gavin Newsom. Because thanks to Gavin, you know, we're paying over 50 cents every time we fill up our car. If you, you know, mortgage your house and fill up your car in California, we're paying over 50 cents to the state of California. Stop these gas, you know, these gas taxes that are killing people and, and stopping our progress and our growth. Um, that's where they should start. And if Jen, Jen, whatever her last name is there at the White House, the White House communications person, again, very seasoned person. I mean, if they want to look at something to find out what's wrong, they probably should look in the mirror. Well, and one of the other things that you've got right now with uh, California is, you know, and it's good transition is you've got now 83 candidates that have now filed over to run for, for you know, uh, for this recall of Gavin Newsom. You know, there's been a lot of discussion around my circles, and I know um, you and I kind of talked about it briefly 
about is this a good thing? I mean, last time around, you know, when when uh, Governor when Schwarzenegger was running for office uh, for governor in that recall, there was a, I believe about 135 different candidates. We're up, you know, we're up to 83 right now. Um, you know, there's there's this discussion as to whether or not it's a good thing that we have a lot of candidates running, um, or is it a bad thing? You know, for for folks like a you know Kevin Faulkner or John Cox or, or Caitlyn Jenner or anyone else looking to run. Um, you, look, you know, right now, put their head in the ring over to run for governor. You know, we've got, they've got a short window. They've got, you know, till J- July, thir- July 16th in order to declare that they're running for governor to pay their, their amount of money or, or get the signatures. And something new in California is they've got to provide five years of tax returns. And mm-hmm. then, you know, once they clear that hurdle, then now they've got, you know, the election coming up in, in September. They, um, I believe it's September 14th, uh, if my memory serves you right. Yeah, and so it is. It is going to be a, a, a sprint over to September. But uh, what's your take? I mean, I mean, for me personally, I think you know you've got a lot of these different candidates running. Um, it you know each one brings their own constituency in there. Right. You know, there's right now so far no one running on the Democratic side. So it becomes it really is this election's two questions, and I think that's probably the most important thing that people need to understand is question one is do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? It's a yes or no, yes or no answer. And if you vote, you know, yes, who would you like to replace them with? You know, and so who's that alternative? And even if you vote no, you still get a choice as to mm-hmm. who the alternative is. But right now, there's no one on the Democrat side. And not only that, but right now, Gavin Newsom is fighting even to include that he's a Democrat on his ballot designation, which which will happen later this week. Right. It's there's so many. Uh, I was reading a story today by a prominent reporter up in Sacramento. And he was there and he was talking about the similarities between now and back in 2003. The differences are much, much, much bigger in my mind. Number one, Gavin Newsom is fighting for his job. Ray Davis, I don't think ever took it seriously until it was too late. Number two, um, you know, you brought out the point about the process and the turnout. The difference is, this year to vote, all you have to do is go to your mailbox. You know, the state of California is is sending ballots out to everybody. And probably, not probably, we all know because it happened in 2020 and they haven't cleaned their voter file since then. You know, there'll be people getting five, six, 10, 12 ballots. Um, and so pe- the ease of voting is going to be much different. The biggest difference, though, is exactly what you just said. For all of the number of people that are getting into this race, there is no prominent Democrat. That's the biggest thing that Gavin Newsom has to hold the wall on. He can't have someone like um, Cruz Bustamante, it was, the lieutenant governor back in 2003, who decided to get on the ballot. That way, you know, and the, the thought process was, well, if they vote, you know, for the recall, at least there's a Democrat choice. You know, I think they've realized, the Democrats have realized, and Newsom and company have been able to hold the line on preventing any credible Democrat from from jumping in because people are going to vote on the two different things. Um, And so there's a huge difference between then and now. And to your point, I think you're right. People get in on a short window. um, If they come in with a bank account, an established constituency, and a decent, simple message, that's all you need. I mean, you don't have the time. 
like some of these folks are trying to do that, you know, they talk about everything or, um, you know, you don't have the time to go out and raise a ton of money. Uh, you got to be able to tap into sources pretty quickly. This is not a traditional race. It is a very short time frame. And so if you walk into this and you got a constituency that will come with you, that you can build off of and money, um, you know, you can, you can make a decent shot. And again, remember, unlike New York, which they finally just, you know, a week plus later declared their winner for mayor, this thing is all, all it is, is you get one more vote than the person below you. If the recall is, is a yes vote, then you become the governor. So the more, the better. I mean, jump in. The, the water's fine, and you don't have a six-foot distance you got to have between everybody. So everybody in the pool. Why not? Well, and I, th and I think part of that, um, the, the difficulty is that, you know, you've, you've got a lot of issues that are happening right now. You've got the wildfires that are starting up. You've got, you know, the California State Senate. Now they, they the California State has now are now requiring their staffers to wear masks when they come right. back in the Capitol because, you know, they've had... Um, you know, staffers coming. You know, the staffers coming back into the into into the building. But you've got a, a number of people who are vaccinated that actually contracted the virus, uh, end up contracting you know COVID again, or end up contracting COVID. And so you've got worries in Los Angeles as to whether or not they're going to have to you know reinstitute certain things because you're you're seeing an uptick in the number of people who are mm -hmm. contracting COVID. Um, you know, we we talked about the gas prices, and you've got you know you you've got this. I mean, you're still paying quite a bit of people who are unemployment to not be working, but you've got all these businesses that are cutting cutting their hours shorter or, you know, not not uh, opening on a specific day because they don't have enough staff to man those shops or restaurants or everything else. And so it's just it's a it's a bizarre thing. But I and I don't I don't anticipate anything getting easier in the next two months. Um, you know, I think I think things will just kind of get amplified more. I mean, in you know, we're, we're about to hit a heat wave coming in into Southern California, Central and Northern California this week. And so, you know, there's once again, threat of a potential, you know, uh, power outages hitting, hitting the state of California. And so the landscape yeah, that, isn't looking good. That's the other part of what, what's been the, and I think we talked about this in the last broadcast, the conventional wisdom has been make this election sooner rather than later while things are good. Um, and I'm, <laughs> and, and I'm not sure things are good. Uh, and, and it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think the things are good perspective or, or vision is based on what we went through the last year, which was a huge anomaly from anything anybody has, has ever experienced. You know, are we in better shape today than we were during the middle of the pandemic? Yes. Um, but all of the things you just mentioned are things that um, people care about now. Before, the only thing they cared about was the pandemic. Now you've got crime, you've got gas prices, you've got um, exactly what you said in terms of, of the, um, uh, the, the crises that are happening around California, specific for us, like wildfires that are now starting to happen. Um, and they're looking at those things. And, and you do have as you said, the reemergence of some of this COVID uh, strains that are, that are creeping in. And, you know, it's not, they try and paint this picture as let's do it now because everything is, you know, happy and rosy. It's not, you know, again, there's a tone deafness here. Uh, it's not as happy and rosy as people think it is, or they think it is. 
Um, you know, you just go to any gas station at any point in time. I was at one the other day and, you know, someone was pumping gas and this homeless guy comes up and, and asks the guy for money. And, and all I could think of is, dude, know your audience. And the guy says to him, are you, you know, I mean, says to him, are you kidding me? Look at what I'm paying for gas. I mean, no word of a lie. And, and it's, you know, that's where we are. And somehow there's a tone deafness that they don't understand that. So I think it's going to be nothing but rocking and rolling and, and, you know, roller coaster between now and September 14th. Right. Well, I, let's, let's leave it there, Mike. Uh, you know, we had to touch on a, quite a bit of subjects and stuff. And so, um, it, I think it's a good, a good point for us to kind of sign off for, for, for today and, uh, and continue this discussion onto another, another podcast. Um, as we get more candidates and that are jumping in, as we get a couple more twists and turns as to, not just what's happening with the, with the economy, but labor and also what, it, what is happening here with the recall in California. We'll make sure we keep you um, in tune on that and kind of give you our perspective uh, from two individuals who kind of worked the political spectrum for the last 30 plus years. And for Mike, you've been in it for a while, um, as I have. And so um, let's, let's sign off for today, Mike. Thanks, Hector. It's great to be with you. And we invite everybody to uh, join us next time on the Hector and Mike Experience.